You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 74. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. This episode is sponsored by PrepDish.com. PrepDish is run by Chef Allison Stevens, who creates weekly meal plans that tell you exactly what you have to do so you only have to grocery shop once, prep once, and then enjoy healthy, stress-free meals all week. At the end of the episode, I'll be speaking with Allison about her company, what it's all about, and she's got a free month for Lively Show listeners listening to this episode. So tune in at the end to get that free month of PrepDish.com yourself. In this episode, we are speaking with Jessica Turner of The Mom Creative and author of The Fringe Hours. The Fringe Hours is a book that's all about making time for you amidst a busy schedule. Jessica knows firsthand what it's like to create time for herself amidst a busy schedule because she has a lot on her plate. She is a wife, a mom of three, one of which is a young baby, as well as a full-time employee running a very successful blog as well. In addition to writing the book, she is someone who people constantly kept asking, how do you do it all? And this book is in part a response to that question. So we'll be talking about what the fringe hours are and the obstacles that come up as we start to try to create time for ourselves. Often it's not about the time itself and whether we have it, but what excuses or what things might be stopping us from really taking that time and putting it to good use. So in this episode, we'll talk about what inspired her to start writing the book, why she believes good enough is the new perfect, and she'll share how she makes time for her passions despite her busy schedule. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jessica. I'm so happy to be here, Jess. I didn't see you this year at Alt Summit, but we actually met there three years ago. I know. And when I was at Alt Summit is when I had the idea for the book, Fringe Hours, that we're talking about today. Three years ago or last year? Let me think. No, it would have been two years ago that we were at Alt because last January I was writing and the January before is when I was at Alt and I was sitting in a session and came up with the idea of Fringe Hours, bought FringeHours.com and started working on a proposal that night right in the middle of the conference. And then this year I just had a baby. And so that's why I wasn't at Alt this year. What sparked it at Alt two years ago? I wish I could remember the exact session that I was in. It might have been Erin Lochner's session, and she was talking about organization and planning and things of that nature. And I realized that so many people ask me all the time, how do you do it all? And my answer first is that I don't. (laughs) And second is that I find time in the fringe hours of the day, which are those pockets of time that often go underused or just wasted altogether. I realized, gosh, that is a concept that women really need to hear. And so I went on GoDaddy in the middle of the session and looked up fringehours.com and it was available and I bought it and I just could not shake the thought. And so that night I was staying at a friend's and said I was going to bed and then sat on my laptop and worked on an outline for a proposal of what this could really look like and signed with an agent a month or two later and was pitching the book by spring and then had a deal by summer and was off to the races researching and writing and getting it ready to be published. And here I am holding a copy in my hands, which is beautiful, by the way. Thank you. And I actually saw my name pop up in there once, (laughs) which was pretty cool. 
It was fun to interview you. Um, One of the things about the Fringe Hours is that it is not just my story. I surveyed more than 2,000 women who gave so much insight into what they're passionate about, what they struggle with, and that really provided a great foundation for the book. But then I also did about 50 one-on-one interviews with women like you from all over the country that just gave so much flavor and color to the book. So it's a really neat compilation of stories and practical, useful advice for women. We kind of jumped right into the book, but let's talk a little bit first about your background. How did you get to where you are and the Fringe Hours? Well, I live in Nashville and I'm married to an author who writes full time. And we have three kids who are six, three, and then a newborn. I work full time outside the home doing content development and strategy and social media for a healthcare company here in Nashville. And then in my Fringe Hours, I blog on a site called The Mom Creative and write and craft and scrapbook and all of these things that poured into the concept of The Fringe Hours. Yes. You are someone who I think everyone, like Amber Housley, who I know you're friends with too, I feel like both of you are some of those women, especially with the kids and the day job and the blog and the business side of things, that people wonder, how the heck do you do it all? Obviously, this book is the answer to that question, correct? It is. It is. And a little more than that. (laughs) Having read the book, I am obsessed, particularly with the first part of the book, because I think it is so powerful. You really go into the importance of making time for yourself and overcoming the limiting beliefs that we have around that time for yourself. I know you interview a lot of people who have children and businesses or careers and the challenges even just of dealing with kids alone full time. So I have neither the children nor juggling the full-time and children side of things, but I too was reading this book going, oh my gosh, I need to really look at these things in more detail. So I'm excited to kind of selfishly (laughs) go over the things, especially that personally really resonated with me and are helping me to change the way I approach my time and when to draw the line on things that so far I've been struggling with. I love that you say a couple things there, Jess. One being that, you know, you're not a mom and this resonated with you. I think because I am a mom, people think it's a mom book and it definitely is not. It's a book for every woman, married, single, kids, no kids. I think that there's practical, useful tips from all of this. And the first section, I love that you love that because the book is broken up into four sections, explore, discover, maximize, and live well. And I really thought when I set out to write it and what the book proposal had was it was going to start with discover how to find these fringe hours, shifting your perspective, that sort of thing. But then once I did the research, I realized I couldn't start there. What I had to start with was the hurdles that women face for why they're not making time for themselves. And so the first section, more than any other section of the book, really grapples with the issues that women deal with on a regular basis for why they're not making time for themselves and why they're not practicing self-care. So let's start with the word balance. You cover that really early on. I know the word balance sometimes I even personally feel guilty writing the word down online because now it's kind of this Voldemort type of the word that must not be named. Like you shouldn't say the word balance anymore. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But you say that there are some particular things we need to keep in mind. So what does it mean to you? I think the notion that balance has two definitions that go hand in hand, one being about emotional stability and one being a satisfying arrangement of elements. I think so many people, when you think about balance, when you look at your schedule, everything fits perfect. It's like a puzzle and everything looks really good on the calendar. But what we don't take into account is the emotional stability component of the balance in our lives. And so how is having all of those things on our calendar going to make us feel? What is it going to 
due to our emotional stability? And are we going to have balance emotionally doing all of these things that we have on the calendar? All of these responsibilities, maybe even things that aren't on the calendar. But when you've got those two emotional stability and that satisfying arrangement, and they both are working in harmony, I think that's when you feel like you have balance in your life. And I think that's the struggle that women face, that they often will have the satisfying arrangement, but they're so overwhelmed and they're not taking care of themselves that that emotional stability is really out of whack. Yes. After reading that part of your book, I equated it to something that I used to talk about a lot on my blog. Back in the day, I focused a lot on possessions. And I realized this very early on that a drawer with shirts in it, for example, if you have 100% capacity, so you have just the right amount of shirts for that drawer. If one shirt gets knocked out of place, oftentimes it makes the entire drawer feel messy because it's at capacity. And what I'm realizing now is in my own schedule, the same principle applies. I love that analogy. That's fantastic. So how can we pull ourselves away from this temptation to fill it to the brim? Well, we have to say no, which is really, really hard. I think it's especially hard for women. But the more that we say no so that we can create that space, so that we can have those fringe hours, so we can have some room in the drawer, as you say, the easier it's going to be. And over time, the more you say no, the easier it is to say no. Because I do think that we have these self-imposed pressures that we put on ourselves. And so that also can make it difficult for us to say no. But saying no leads to freedom, both emotional freedom and freedom in our schedules. The worry that comes up is if I say no to this opportunity or this invitation or whatever it is, that by saying no, I'm somehow karmically hurting myself (laughs) on the yes train when I'm asking other people to say yes to me. How do you deal with that? Because I'm sure you're also, you know, saying no to some things and then hoping other people say yes to things that are important to you. I think it's just being honest and being honest with why you're saying no and why it's potentially a no, not right now. So it's not a no forever. For instance, I had an opportunity this week. I had an invitation to go on a blogger media trip to Mexico, which sounded just amazing. But I just had a baby. And it was, you know, doing all this like zip lining and a day on, you know, in the ocean and like all of these things that like there's no way that I could take my newborn (laughs) to Mexico to do this press trip. And so unfortunately, I had to say no, but I was really honest to why I had to say no and that I was thankful for the opportunity that I would love to work with them in the future, et cetera. So I gave some context to why I had to say no. And I think as long as you're honest, people are grateful for feedback. They're grateful for a response. And I think that you never regret saying no, but you oftentimes will regret saying yes. And that's what you have to remember, that if you say yes, 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 when really you needed to say no, 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 how did that make you feel? And what was the result of that? And at the end of the day, I don't (laughs) really believe that, you know, karma is going to get you and it's going to all catch up. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'm just being paranoid here. Yeah, I think maybe, (laughs) maybe just let that part go. But I think be honest and remember that. You're never going to regret saying no, but you might regret saying yes to something that you should not have said yes to. Yes. I think that I'm struggling with the saying no for my emotional well-being while leaving myself that margin. To say no when I'm not just at capacity and I literally can't do it, but to say no for the emotional well-being, which is giving myself time. For example, meeting up for people, like that's a great idea and I really appreciate it, but it's taking up the time that I have to actually relax and unwind and make the emotional well-being choices. And it's hard to say that when I don't have a legitimate, like here's this thing I'm going to be doing other than that. Does that make sense? That's the hard thing. Right. It does. It does. 
And, you know, I do think that certain life experiences teach us this as well. Um, With my most recent pregnancy, I was very sick. And there was a lot that, like, physically, I just, I could not do. I was exhausted. I was throwing up all the time. I just couldn't do it. And I had to let things go out of necessity. But in letting things go out of necessity, I realized that they weren't as important as I thought they were, you know, not blogging five days a week and only blogging two or three days a week. You know what? Readers still came and no one sent me nasty emails and the world kept turning. And so sometimes when we have those situations that force us to say no, it can be a really good lesson, I think, in prioritizing and realizing what really matters. That's a good point. Let's talk about the idea of pleasing everyone to the point of emptiness. What does that mean? I think that it is saying yes to everything and everyone except yourself. And when you do that over time, week after week after week, eventually you are so drained physically and emotionally yourself that you are empty, that you have nothing else to give to all of those other people and responsibilities in yourself. So that's why it's so important to practice self-care, which is what the Fringe Hours is really calling for, that by taking care of yourself, by making time for your own passions, making time for your health, making time for your spiritual well-being, that by doing that, you actually are going to be a better wife, a better mom, a better employee, because you're taking care of yourself first so that you aren't at that point of emptiness. What can people do to start filling themselves up? Oh, there's so many things you can do. It's interesting. When I did the survey, I realized that there's a lot of people out there who don't even know what their passions are, that it has been so long since they took time for themselves that they don't even know where to begin. And so I have a list in the book of things that you can go through and think about if you don't know what your passions would be. And one of those is looking back at your childhood, thinking about what did you love doing as a kid? Because chances are you'd still enjoy doing that. I know for me, I always had a book with me and still a book is a great escape and something that I really enjoy doing. And if I have been really stressed out and going 100 miles an hour, my husband will say, would you just go read a book? You just need to go escape, read a good fiction book and do that. And it really is true. That just kind of resets me and I feel so much better. I think talking to other people and learning what their passions are and seeing what kind of sparks your interest, looking at websites like Pinterest and seeing what stimulates you there. You know, is there something that sparks your eye, whether it's a sewing pattern or it's home decor or it's an exercise routine? You know, what is it that really sparks you and figuring those things out? Um, whatever it is, and then making the time to do it, finding that time amidst a busy schedule, finding those fringe hours in your day to do those passions. It may be hard at first for some people. It may feel like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing X, Y, and Z. But the more you practice that time for yourself, the more you practice those acts, the easier it's going to become and the better you're going to feel. And it's just going to have a ripple effect in your life. One of the things you mentioned is comparison comparing our schedules to other people's schedules and that if they have time for it, I should have time for it too. I can't even imagine how much this may come into play as a mother and seeing what other mothers are having time for or not. How do we overcome this comparison trap when it comes to how we spend our time? Well, a big part of comparison that I noticed in my research was that it is becoming even harder because of social media. Wouldn't you agree, like looking at Facebook, looking at Instagram, seeing what other people are doing when really you're getting a very small slice of life. But when you're seeing that little cropped square of what their living room looks like or how they're spending their evening, 
that it then breeds comparison. And comparison just leads to disappointment, discontentment, frustration. We've got to kind of nip that in the bud. For social media in particular, I think taking the apps off your phone, limiting how much you're looking at them, unfollowing certain people. I know that there have been a few people in my life that every time that I saw their Instagram feeds, it just made me not have good feelings. I wasn't celebrating what they were experiencing, but I was comparing it to my own life and feeling kind of icky. And so I just unfollowed those people so that then that wasn't an issue when I was looking at my Instagram feed. And so I think recognizing if that is something that happens for you, how you need to best eliminate it to have a more healthy perspective. And then something else is trading those feelings of comparison for celebration. And I love this notion of turning it on its head. So if you are feeling comparison towards somebody, you're looking at something in their life and comparing it to your own life, and then that's breeding resentment and those sorts of things, to change that and celebrate what that person is experiencing. Practice gratitude for them. Compliment them. Celebrate those feelings. I think that when we do that time and time again, we'll be happier people. Massey Kip from The Daily Love says, when we have envy, we're envious about the untapped potential within ourselves. What about that person's life do I want more of in my own life? And how can I find a way to embody one of those values now where I am in my circumstances? I love that. It's awesome. But it is tempting to compare other people's schedules because one of the limiting beliefs I have, if I go through everything we just talked about, I can say, all right, I need this for my emotional well-being. I need to realize that I can't be empty all the time. I need to say no. But then if I think about, especially in the context of my career, and even if you're not a blogger or business owner, I'm sure you can compare yourself to other people in your company or, or just other people you know, that if they have time in their schedules to have X, Y, or Z, then maybe I should have it too, especially if they have a busier, bigger career or platform or whatever it is. If they have time for it, shouldn't I have time for it? who am I to say no to something they're saying yes to is one of those limiting things that kind of pops up in my head. Going back to this idea of if I'm empty from it, it doesn't matter what the other person's doing. I'm not bringing my best self to my work and what I do in my life too. That's something I'm having to still overcome even after I get through the other few hurdles we talked about. Well, and you know, that's something that I have dealt with a good bit being a blogger because my blog is not a full-time gig, right? I work full-time outside the home. It is something that is on the side. It's something that I'm working on mornings and weekends and in my fringe hours. And I'll oftentimes compare my blog or compare the size of my platform or what my design looks like or the opportunities that I'm given working with brands to bloggers who are doing it full-time or who are certainly maybe not doing it full-time but are doing it a lot more hours a week than I am. And I have to constantly remind myself that their story is not my story that their blog is not my blog and being really grateful for the platform that I do have, the opportunities that I do have, and what is it that I can do to make the mom creative as it is the best that it can possibly do within the confines of the time that I have. I think mothers can probably relate huge to what they're saying yes to versus other moms. Mm -hmm. And I think with the moms, I'm just going to give you one more example. So something that I love doing is throwing really big, creative, fun birthday parties for my kids. I absolutely love it. I think I love it as much as they do. So it's something that we work on for months and months, and they're really beautiful, and there's lots of activities, and I do lots of crafting around it, and I blog about the parties, and they're just kind of a big part of our family story in the summertime. And so I have had moms say to me, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do for my son's party, especially after coming to yours, you know, and they're comparing 
what they're doing to what I'm doing, but it's not joyful to them. You know, the thought of putting together an elaborate pirate party and a treasure hunt is torturous to them, right? And so you can't compare what somebody else is doing because it's their passion with what you think you should be doing when it is far from a passion for you. And at the end of the day in the birthday party example, right, my kids are just as happy to go to the play gym as they are to come to my house, you know, for the elaborate Star Wars party or whatever the theme is that year. But I do think that's something that we have to remember. You know, I'll say to those moms, look, that is something that I enjoy doing. That is fun for me to do for my kids. That is something that brings joy to my life. What is it that you do that brings joy to your life? For me, it's party planning. For you, it might be running, you know? And so I think recognizing that, that sometimes you're comparing something that's really apples to oranges. Yeah, the passions don't align, but then you compare yourself to other people's passions. I think that's so true and also totally applies to the Instagram or Pinterest world. Right. You're looking at a compilation of hundreds of people's passions, and they're all sharing the things that they're passionate about. But when you look at it in a feed, it looks like cumulatively everyone is equally passionate about every single area. Or even if it's the same passion, they're doing it in a different way given different circumstances. Absolutely. So wise. One of the things you shared about was the difference between perfect and the new perfect. So what is that? And how can we decide what the new perfect is for us? Well, I think the new perfect is the fact that it's not perfect. (laughs) The new perfect is imperfect? Yes, exactly. It's that good enough is the new perfect. I think that is something that can be a hard shift for us to think about. That perfect might not be the homemade cookies, that it might be the store-bought cookies that we bring to the party. But what is that good enough? And that good enough really is perfect, you know, that as long as, as you're at Really, just the notion that it doesn't have to be this picture Pinterest perfect, whatever the this is, you know, whether it's the snack or it's your house. I love listening to Shauna Nequist talk about hospitality. And I heard her speak this fall and she was talking about having people over. And when she has them over to her house, she said, look, this is what I do. I take a laundry basket and I walk around my house and everything that is on the floor that someone could trip on, I throw in that laundry basket and that's it. That is the good enough. You know, that if they're not going to trip, then we're fine. That's good enough. The house is not dusted. It's not sparkling. I'm not cleaning baseboards. But you know what? When the people come over for dinner and we have an awesome night, no one is looking at the baseboards. And I think that is a hard mentality for women to embrace sometimes that if it isn't perfect, that that means it's awful when really good enough is probably just good enough. It's perfect. You talk a lot about how you let some of those things go when other women might fixate on that in order to make time for your crafting. So let's talk about how you make time for your fringe hours, because you do seem to have a very, very full schedule in addition to all your passions. Right. Well, and I think the cleaning is one that it's true for me, but I also found in my research that it was true for a lot of women. Either that was the thing that they were letting go or that they were getting help with, or it was the thing that was really bogging them down. So they felt like they couldn't spend an evening reading or knitting or doing something like that because there was still laundry to be done. And I say, let the laundry go. Let the dishes go one night and make a little time for yourself. And that's something that I have frankly become really good at doing is, is is letting go of things. You know, I'll oftentimes, you know, get the dishes scraped and rinsed and kind of ready for the dishwasher, but the dishwasher is full and running. And so I won't stress out about it. I'll just leave it and finish it in the morning and then take that time in the evening to do something that I really love that really fills me up, whether that's scrapbooking or it's working on a craft project or it's reading or it's writing, but doing something for me, kind of ending the day that way. 
I also, when I don't have a newborn, um, I can't say that life looks quite like this right now. But generally speaking, I get up at five every day and take the first 60 to 90 minutes just for myself to do things for me before my husband gets up, before the kids get up and spend that time doing things just for me so that then when everybody else wakes up and I have to put on the wife hat and the mom hat and, you know, going off to work and the coworker hat that I have first filled myself up. And I know this is something that you do as well, Jess. And I think that really sets the tone for the day on the days when I would choose to sleep in and wake up at the same time as my kids are screaming, mommy, I'm ready for some milk, you know, and getting up at the exact same time as then I just find myself so much more stressed out going into the day versus days where I've had that quiet time for myself first. One of the other things I found fascinating about you and your fringe hours is that you read magazines while blow drying your hair. That has been one that has really struck a lot of people and it makes me giggle, but I do. I say that, you know, gosh, that is five to 10 minutes a day, every single day, you know, and I've got a pretty easy hairstyle. And so, you know, it isn't something where I'm needing both of my hands necessarily the whole time that I'm blow drying my hair, but I can lay that magazine out and read those magazines. And, you know, over the course of a year, what is that like 50 hours that I can spend reading instead of just blow drying my hair or not doing anything else. And so thinking about where are those pockets of time in your day where you can be doing things that you enjoy that maybe you wouldn't think about, you know, on average, women and men both wait 45 to 60 minutes a day, just spent waiting, waiting in the car, waiting in line at the store, waiting for kids practices. What are you doing during those times of waiting? Could you be doing things that bring you joy and using that time a little better than just standing looking at your iPhone at Facebook? So how do you know when you need to be fully present in a moment and when you need to be focusing on kind of that multitasking, like looking at the magazine while you blow dry your hair? That is going to be personal for each individual person. I mean, Blow drying my hair is not something that I need to be (laughs) fully present in. Um, But I think thinking about like pulling out your phone every time you're walking. Okay, so what does that say? Are you really taking time for yourself? Are you feeling this tether to your phone? Do you maybe need to reduce that distraction? And thinking about that for your own life. And I think it's going to be different for every person. One of the things I talk about in the book that in finding the fringe hours, the first step to doing that it's tracking your time over the course of a week. And so this is different from a calendar. It's not just tracking the big things, but it's tracking all those little things. It's tracking that, you know, 10 minute walk to the coffee shop. It's tracking the 10 minutes that you were folding laundry, all of those things over the course of a week. And then going back and analyzing your week and seeing, gosh, where are the pockets of time where I could really be redeeming the fringe hours for myself and really pursuing my passions, practicing better self-care, and just looking at my week maybe a little differently. I think that when you do that, then you can really find where those pieces of time are that you should be focusing just on your passion versus things where, you know, you can be multitasking. Are there two keys that we need to think about when we're implementing the fringe hours? You know, I think that it's recognizing where you are and where you want to be. So for some people, they are good at practicing self-care periodically. They'll go and get a monthly massage. They don't neglect themselves entirely. They're doing things here and there. For other people, it's been years since they practiced any sort of self-care. And so I think you need to start with that benchmark of where you are to then figure out where you need to go and kind of what's going to be realistic over the next three to six months. Where do you want to go by the end of the year? What would you like life to look like? And I think having some accountability... You know, if you're married, talking to your spouse or talking to a friend or a family member and saying, gosh, this is something that I'm really struggling with or this is something I want to get better at. What do you see in my life? And maybe see if they can pour some wisdom into your life. 
And also keep you accountable. You know, my husband saying, hey, you need to go read that book or, you know, it's been a while since you got out. Why don't you go take a couple hours just for yourself? Having that accountability and that champion can really make a huge difference and help set you up for success. Any last tips on the fringe hours? Just remember that they're there, that you can find that time, and that everyone has time for themselves. You've just got to make it a priority. It might not be easy at first, but by making you a priority, it's going to have a positive impact on every aspect of your life. As we've said, the book covers in detail how to actually find those fringe hours, discover what you want to do during them, and how to overcome the different hurdles that we face to making them. Let's talk about the doubts or resistance that you've had to face or overcome in your personal life. I think a big doubt for me, Jess, was in writing the book that I could do it. Who am I to write this book on making time for you and having to figure out how to do that in in the very limited amount of time that I had, you know, so I think when I first had the idea of the fringe hours, figuring out if it could even be possible to write a book with the busy schedule that I have was a big one for me to overcome, you know, sitting down and writing that 50,000 words was a lot bigger writing project than I had ever taken on before. And I think doing it slowly, having measurable pieces of success, you know, finishing one chapter, then finishing two chapters, then finishing three chapters, even finishing the interviews as I was kind of preparing to write each of those little steps leading up to this finished product, this book that you're holding in your hands, this book that I really believe is going to inspire women across the country was a really, really big deal for me, much bigger than I think I even anticipated when I first had the idea at that alt conference. How'd you overcome it? I did it. Um, I said, I figured out where the time was in my day to do that. I got up at five and instead of, you know, spending time blogging, I went right to the office and I worked on the book and I had the support of my husband who took on a lot of the responsibilities at home and with the kids to help me get it done. I had a great agent and a great publishing team who was really flexible with me and understanding as I was kind of grappling with different pieces of the process. But I think writing that proposal and sending it out to all of those publishers and kind of seeing what happened and then getting multiple offers and signing a deal. And then, okay, gosh, I have to do this. And then figuring out manageable ways to actually get it done amidst a busy schedule. I think that story of writing the fringe hours in the fringe hours was a really big one for me, really a a powerful lesson in that it is possible to find fringe hours for yourself to do even really big things that you think are not possible. What would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? To remember what brings you joy and to choose joy throughout the process, that you shouldn't start on a journey that's just going to be painful, that is going to bring about aggravation and pain and strife that isn't going to be worth it in the end. Choose a path that's going to bring joy to your life. And I think when you do that, whatever the actual task is, whatever the project is, whatever the dream is, will be really, really worth it in the end. I love that. Thank you so much for spending your fringe hour with us, Jessica. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Thank you, Jessica, so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to send Jessica a message, you can go over to Twitter. Her handle is at the mom creative. And if you'd like to send me a message on Instagram or Twitter, as always, you can find me at Jess. C is in cookie, lively. Before I share my sneak peek about who's coming on the show next week, we're going to have a quick conversation with Allison of PrepDish.com. And at the end, she'll share how you can get a free month of service. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started with Prep Dish. I started out as a personal chef. I'm based here in Austin, Texas. I brought on all of these clients. And the way my process worked is I would go to their house, spend a few hours prepping their food for their week, and then leave them with instructions on how to sort of finish it off at mealtime. And I filled up pretty quickly, you know, five to seven clients. It got to the point where I was full and couldn't bring on any more clients. And on top of that, I was really busy. And I would get home, not have anything deep for dinner, and quickly made a rule for myself if my clients were eating better than I was, I was doing something wrong. <laughs> so I realized I needed to start doing the same thing for myself that I was doing for my clients, which was prepping ahead my meals. As I did that, I was also thinking there's got to be a way where I could reach more people. When all of that was going on, I came up with this idea of Prep Dish, and it's an online-based meal planning system where I can take my process that I use with my personal chef clients and put it into a format where I can reach anyone in the country or even the world. So how does it work exactly? It's a subscription-based service. It's a weekly email that subscribers get where they get a download. It's a grocery list and then instructions on how to do that meal prep ahead of time. So how to spend that two hours on Sunday afternoon prepping your meals for the week. And how much time does it take? Two to three hours usually is what people say. After two to three hours of working on the Sunday using your grocery list, I would have Mm -hmm. all of my food cooked for the entire week. Yep. (laughs) That is incredible. Yeah, I know it is. (laughs) As someone who just literally made a salad with my husband last night at 9 p.m., I could say that would be amazing not to have to wait so long to cook something. Yeah, I know. I always kick myself when I don't do it and I'm scrambling at night. I'm like, why am I not following my own system? (laughs) (laughs) Who is this ideal for? Busy people. Anyone that doesn't have time to scramble at five o'clock and make a meal from scratch. This is perfect. Moms absolutely love it just because it gives them more time with their family, with their kids. It gives them time to sit down to that meal each night. And it's such a great extension of today's episode with how to get the most out of your day. By doing something like this, you can free up all that time that you would normally be prepping during the work week to be spending with your family or working on your passions. Exactly. It's really an investment of time up front to where it gives you time throughout the week. What are your uppercase V values for prep dish? The number one thing is family meals. I really strongly believe in sitting down to a family meal. I feel really blessed that, you know, with this company, I'm able to help families have that time to sit down each night and have a meal together. The other one is efficiency. So I like to make these to where they're as efficient as possible. When you go to the grocery store, it's an organized grocery list. When you're prepping, it's what makes the most sense to do first and then second and then third so you can get in and out as quickly as possible. So very efficient. The third one is health. I'm a dietitian by background. And so I believe, you know, if you're going to spend all this time prepping your food, you want it to be healthy. Are these meals catered towards one specific type of eating or preference? Yeah, so I'm gluten intolerant. So all of the meals are gluten-free. I like to say I don't use the weird gluten-free foods. I just use natural gluten-free foods. So, you know, proteins and vegetables. And I also have a paleo option. So there's the paleo option as well. And both of them are just real foods, nothing processed. So you have something really special for Lively Show listeners. Tell us about it. Yeah, today I'm offering a free four-week trial. I found the best way for people to decide if this is a good fit for them is to just give it a go and try it out. So today, if you go to prepdish.com backslash lively, you can sign up for a free four-week trial. Then at the end of four weeks, you can you know either cancel or just keep going with a monthly subscription. How long is this special for Lively Show listeners good for? 
I'm going to have the special running through the next month. So that'd be through June 14th of 2015. Tell us again, where can we find you and how can we get that deal? Preptish.com backslash lively. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Allison. I'm so excited to give this a try myself with my husband and hopefully not be eating at 9 p.m. anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And now for a sneak peek. Next week's episode is with Mimi Icon of MimiIcon.com, which is actually M-I-M-I-I-K-O-N-N.com. She has an amazing YouTube channel, which has hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and her Instagram alone has almost a million people following it. But for some reason, I did not know about Mimi until I met her husband's co-author. So Mimi's husband co-authored the five-minute journal with UJ Ramdas, who we've had on the show, and UJ introduced me to Mimi, and I am so glad he did. Mimi is one of the founders with her husband, Alex, of Luxie Hair Extensions, but she has an incredible platform filled with inspiring messages, and having listened to her YouTube channel for a while now and gone through so many of her videos, I'm pretty obsessed, but even more blown away by her inspiring journey. Her story is incredible, and I can't wait to share it with you next week. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.